it's hard to imagine um, the taking of a life even in the mother's womb. But before I even go into my message, we just need to address this one issue because I know a number of you in here have had abortions. And the testimony of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins is so amazing. The enemy would love to continue to throw guilt on us and condemn us, shame us, but there's no place for that, for God's children. So I just want to to encourage those of you that have had an abortion, guys that have been part of that in one way or another, that this message isn't a message of condemnation. It's a message to encourage us of the value of human life so that we can share with others the value of human life. But it's also a message of restoration. Restoration because we've all made mistakes in our lives and we've all sinned in our lives. But every time you address a particular issue like this or any other particular issue, you know what? We always need to remember there's somebody in this room and there's somebody maybe sitting beside us has already suffered this loss and, and the, 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 the Lord has already dealt with them. And if there's somebody here who hasn't really been set free of guilt or shame because of a past mistake like this, please talk to us. Share with us. Let us pray with you. Um, it's not the unforgivable sin. So I just want to preface everything with that. As I talked this morning, my message's title is simply The Value of a Human Life. The value of a human life. And we're going to be looking uh, primarily in Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we'll be looking there. But when <clears throat> January 22nd in 1973, for some of you, that's such ancient history. For some of us, like myself, I was in college and I was probably glad to hear this decision was made. Because I remember lots of friends from my college in Madison, South Dakota, taking their girlfriends to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And it wasn't a date, like we would think of a date. It was to take their girlfriend or their one-night stand to get an abortion and just erase the mistake they made. So on January 22, 1973, Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court of the United States gave authority to all the states to legalize abortion if they would choose to do so. Since then, look at these numbers and don't get lost in the numbers. But since then, and I, I, and I put the number down as exact as I could find, I, even though it's an estimate, just so it resonates with us how big this number is. 57,762,169 babies in the United States since this decision was made have been killed in the womb or actually birthed and left to die outside the womb. There's some great videos online. Uh, There's a nurse, Stanick was her name. Um, I considered playing one of her videos. It's a testimony of what she experienced as a nurse. Um, But I decided it was not an appropriate place with children around. The statistics I want to share just to give us the gravity of this situation actually come from the, Gallat, the Alan Guttmacher Institute. And I use his data from his institute because that is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. So these numbers are coming from somebody with a great investment in the abortion industry. So they're not just from some quote-unquote pro-life radical. These are from their own numbers. 
And when you look at those numbers up there, they're astounding. In 1990, look at that number. 1,608,600 babies were aborted. The ones on the right are the CDC. It's interesting, the CDC's numbers are even lower than the actual research arm of Planned Parenthood. And they don't all get, a, they don't all get recorded. And in 1960, it peaked, which would be to be expected as the laws were passed in the different states and this thing just took a momentum of its own. And since then, it's been going down. In the horror, there's some good news. There's some good news. People praying, people protesting in a right way. People praying and, and really crying out. People getting informed. I mean, if, you've, if you that have been pregnant in recent years put a picture on Facebook of, of your, uh, what's it called? Ultrasound, thank you. I could have showed you one of ours and it would look like a snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> you go, what? There's a baby in there? The, the technology, the science, the data, the research has increased. And praise God, the numbers have come down some. They've come down over 600,000 in a year. The worldwide numbers are astronomical. Over 50 million a year is what they estimate in the world. And approximately 30 million of them in Russia alone. I remember back in the 90s and early 2000s when I traveled to Russia, it was not unusual to run into women who had six, seven, and eight abortions. It was their method of birth control. So in the world, it's way worse, as bad as it is here. The statistics that they have, and it's kind of surprising to me they put these out, 75% of abortions are caused or, or people come to get them because the baby was going to either interfere with their work or their school or some other things on their calendars. Convenience, in other words. 50% of them, or 66% of them, also added the finances. Cost too much. 50% because they were a single parent or their marriage was terrible and it just wouldn't be fair to the child to bring them into the world in an environment like that. It'd be too hard. And we always hear the, the exceptions of incest and rape, and which is an issue to be de- debated if you would like. But according to their statistics, less than 1%. Of Planned Parenthood's own research arm says less than 1%. So could you imagine how few abortions that would really be. To get a to handle on this number, the improvement we've made, well, 1990, that would have been 4,600 babies a day in the United States. 192 babies an hour. Over three a minute. Or one every 20 seconds. Think of that. That's how widespread it was. And even with the improvement in the 2015, and these are estimates because 2015 data isn't all in, obviously, but it would still be over 2,900 a day, 2,900 a day, 120 an hour, two a minute, one every 30 seconds. We need to understand what's happening, most of it for convenience, but we also need to understand there's a lot of hurting women out there, 
a lot of hurting men out there who have been involved in abortion that need to understand the grace and mercy and the love of Christ. That they have been forgiven as they've confessed their sin, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, it's interesting, and just a little sidebar, a quick one to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, this is when Adam and Eve had sinned. Even Adam had sinned. And it says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the devil. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And in Genesis, uh, Galatians 4.4 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, but under the law. You know, it's, it's amazing to me, we see the grace of God even in that initial sin in the garden where the woman ate of the tree. God right there prophesied for the very first time. He prophesied a savior. And he made a point of declaring that it was going to come from the seed of the woman. The woman was declared immediately after that first sin to be one who was going to take part in being the messenger of salvation. The message wasn't one of judgment. I think that's important for us to see. We see the heart of God right there. It wasn't about judgment. Yes, it was a costly sin. But God's love and mercy was evident right away. In our culture today, secularism, where there is no God, humanism, where you and I are the God, and then relativism, where you can make anything you want to be God and believe whatever you want to be true about that God. When these things have moved, we have moved into our culture We've lost sight completely of what is true, what is right, what is beautiful according to the Word of God. Because God has been removed from the picture. And there's unbelievable consequences in every area of culture, but boy, this is a dramatic area of our culture to look at. The consequences of doing this. The life of the child has now become more the will of the mother than the will of God. Every life is a gift from God. All life comes from God, and yet that will of the woman, the will of the man, it becomes up to them to speak when that child really gets to live and when it gets to die. God has been removed from that position of authority, and we've taken it on because of what we have done to God in our culture. And it only makes sense, and the, and the decline is overwhelming. So I want us to look, and we're going to look in Psalm 139 to see this amazing God and his amazing, overwhelming view and love of human life. You know, how many of you have seen a potter put a chunk of wet clay on his, on his pottery wheel? If anybody witnessed that, a few of you, probably some of you have done it in some of the schools or different places. You know, the potter takes that piece of wet clay, puts it on the wheel, and the wheel starts to spin. And you look at that piece of wet clay, and guess what it looks like? A piece of wet clay. And then the potter, in his mind, has already got a vision for what that piece of wet clay is going to be turned into. What it's going to become. And all he has to do is start exerting forces on it as the wheel spins and he starts to shape it and mold it 
into what he envisions it to be. And then when he gets it all molded and shaped into what he wants it to be, he takes it and he puts it in the fire and heats it to some extraordinary temperatures. And when it comes out, he's got his finished vision, his finished, that piece of clay has come to its destiny. And the Word of God says that he's the potter, we're the clay. It's not the most wonderful thing to picture. You and I are nothing more than a piece of wet mud, wet clay. But that's what it says, that he's the potter, we are the clay. And he has a vision and a destiny for every life that he creates. And he sees the potential outcome. He has a destiny. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And it doesn't matter who or what this child is, this life is. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter where it's conceived. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's the child of a king or a queen. It doesn't matter if it's of a homeless person. It doesn't matter. In God's eyes, this child is a gift and he has a plan. He's the potter. We're just the clay. And as we go through life, there's a continuing transformation that's taking place. It would be a little bit easier for most all of us if we could see the finished product right now while we're getting squished and pushed and formed and transformed. And some of us are already in the fire or we're in the fire again. It would be so much easier to go through all that if we knew what the outcome was going to be. But we don't know. He does, the potter. And we need to trust him. Put his faith in him. There are so many things that we don't understand as we go through life. We just don't understand. If all life is a gift from God, why doesn't every child come out of the womb absolutely perfect? It doesn't. If every child is a gift of God and God has a plan and a destiny for every life that's ever been born on planet Earth, how come some die so young? How come some are handicapped? How come some get in accidents and, and live crippled the rest of their life? How come some go to war and get maimed? How come, how come, how come? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But I do know the Bible gives us a picture of God's value of human life, all human life. And no matter what that human life is, looks like, goes through, he has a plan. That's so exciting. We have an amazing potter, and we're just a piece of clay. Now, all these first verses I'm going to read are not going to be up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I want you to see, we're going to see in, in Psalm 139, we see three amazing attributes of God laid out for us. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. What do those words mean? Look at verse, I'm going to read starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read these first three verses real quickly. And I'm going to read through verses 1 through 6. And we're going to see the omniscient God, the all-knowing God. It says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, and You have known me. Thou dost know when I sit down, and You know when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou hast scrutinized my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways and even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, Thou already knows it. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and You have laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. 
the all-knowing God. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about every human life that He creates. No matter where we go, no matter what we're doing. It's a little scary that He knows every word that I'm going to speak before it comes off my tongue. He knows it when it's a thought. The, um, this God that is an omniscient, all-knowing God. Everything about us. Everything. And then the next six verses, starting in verse 7, we get to see this other attribute of God. We see to see His omnipresence. Meaning He's everywhere, all at the same time, all at once. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, there you are. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness turned in the dark to thee, and the night is night, bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. No matter where you go, Think about that. It makes his promise, I will never leave you or I never forsake you. Because he's everywhere all the time. He's with us. He knows everything about us. He values life that much. Why wouldn't he value life? Just think of that. He created us. He gave us life. He formed us. He knows everything about us. We're the, we're the topping on all of creation. Man, think of that when you go online and you start looking at all those beautiful pictures of God's creation, the scenery, the sunsets, the mountains, the rivers, all of the plains. You look at those and you're just, wow, this is amazing. I want to go there. You want to see the greatest creation that God ever created? Look in the mirror. After you comb your hair and brush your teeth. Seriously, that's it. That's hard for us to believe. We've been believing lies about ourselves forever. And we've been believing lies about that baby in the womb forever. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Meaning before he started, before conception, he knew you. It's amazing. Amazing. And then in verse 13, and this is where I'm going to focus on the next few verses. Because I believe we see the the omnipotence or the all-powerful God and the example is our creation. And when I'm going to read the first, starting in verse 13, I'm just going to read it quick. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. The womb. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Every day of our life is already in his book. Already. How precious also are thy thoughts towards me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The thoughts of God towards me are more numerous than the grains of sand on the planet Earth. That's how God sees life. Notice verse 13. 
It starts out with the word for. What is it for? For you formed me. For. You could put the word because in there. So you look at the first 12 verses that I read about his omniscience and his omnipresence. And he says, for. That's why you've created me. The value you have in me. For. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. The inward parts, it's, it's interesting because the word literally translated simply means, anybody know? Kidneys. Kidneys. In Hebraism, it, it, what it meant there was the innermost part of your being, your kidneys, the innermost part of your emotions, innermost part of your will, he formed you. So it's not just the physical part of us. There's that part of us called our spirit that makes us unique from any other living organism on the planet. And it's our spirit. He forms us in the wombs. He weaved us. He made us. He put us together. Like a tapestry. You ever looked at a woven tapestry before? You ever seen it hanging up, for example, and you go, wow, that's amazing. And then you walked around and you kind of looked behind it on the back side of that tapestry. What did you see? Knots and gnarls and maybe you could tell what it was. It just looked like a bunch of string all over the place. Well, guess what? There is times you and I look at our lives and God sees the tapestry of your life the way He intends for it to be, the way it's going to look when He gets finished with us, and you and I look at it and all we see is the backside of that tapestry. All we see are the knots and the gnarls and we're just like, oh, what a mess I am. And if we could just see it from God's perspective, we'd see how every knot, every gnarl, everything was refining, finishing, we might want to use the word sanctifying our lives into this beautiful finished product that the potter has in mind. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could see the tapestry from the front all the time. But we don't. But He does. He weaves us together just the way He wants. This tapestry of, of muscles, tendons, nerves, arteries, ligaments, veins, capillaries, chromosomes, cells. He, he, he puts it all together. And again, I found a 10-minute video. It's just amazing. Done by a scientist, a mathematician. And it's about the human life. And it's a video of the child in the womb developing. There are times in the early development of a baby when there's 100 million cells being formed every four seconds. Think about that. What a fluke of evolution that it all works. Every second's amazing. As a matter of fact, if you would continue to grow as a baby at the same rate you were growing then, guess what? You'd weigh a ton and a half at birth. <laughs> that would torture a woman. But the point is, he makes each one of our lives individually and personally. He cares. He cares. Every life is that precious to Him. And you know what He's trying to create it and form it into as this tapestry of our life is being formed as we continue to live our life? What is He trying to transform our tapestry into? The image of God. 
And I believe this is why Satan so pushes abortion in our culture and around the world. He is destroying those things that God has given life to in his own image. And Satan hates it. The image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, most of you are probably very familiar. But God is creating. And it says, then God says, let us. Let us. Who? I believe it's very clear. It's the Holy Spirit. God the Son. God the Father. And wouldn't you love, you know, I have a pretty simple mind, but I just picture him sitting around the campfire talking. I got a great idea. You think what we've done so far is cool? Wait till you see what we are going to do next. We're going to create you and me. And all three of them corporately, their mouths just fall open. I know that's not possible, but... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And then it says, God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Every single life is significant. Every life is important. Every single life has a destiny because we are created in his image. We are created in his image. We are created in his image to show God to the world, to the unsaved. We are created in his image. We all have dignity. We all have worth. We all have value. But when we have taken God off the throne and we put man on the throne, we have so distorted that. And when we do, all kinds of ugly things can happen. When sin entered the earth, the image of God was marred. There's no doubt about it. He's in the process of restoring it in each one of our lives. Once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us we have been being transformed into the very image of Christ, into the image of God. It's a process of restoring what was lost in the garden where the image of God would have been perfectly projected by Adam and Eve before their sin. And every life, every life, that's the destiny that God has for him. That's what he has in mind. That would be God's will if man and sin didn't get in the way. When our culture ignores or rejects God, rejects his truth, this truth is completely lost or chosen to be ignored. And when we start depersonalizing and dehumanizing life, it becomes open season on what we call human beings. We get to determine who has value. We get to determine who has worth. Well, I could have given you some great uh, examples how Germany got to the place where they could kill so many Jews. First, it was those that weren't worthy of living birth abortion. Then it was those whose life didn't have enough value, according to somebody. Maybe they were handicapped or crippled. We killed them. Maybe, maybe when they got old, they didn't have any value to society. They were a drain on society. We killed them. And before long, it just led to, they're not the right race. They killed them. It was a slippery slope that did not stop. But once we dehumanize, it's open season. We get to define who's of value, what life's of value, what's no longer considered unique and special. That's where we see abortion. That's where we see infanticide. That's where we see euthanasia being talked about and practiced. 
in parts of the world. Life has been devalued because we have lost the concept that God has about life. Verse 14 reads, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works for my soul knows it very well. Fearfully made. There is an awe and a reverence of the way he has woven us together. And wonderful. That word wonderful in the Hebrew means unique. It means special, one of a kind, extraordinary, astounding. We are extraordinary. We are astounding. We are unique. We are one of a kind. We're that special. Every single life. That's how God sees it. I'm going to read uh, a quote. It's actually part of a book. And I'd never heard of it before. The guy's name was Wilbur Nelson. He's not related. And the name of the book was If I Were an Atheist. And I didn't follow through and write it down, but I think this came out of a chapter that was If I Was a Medical Doctor. And here's what he wrote. And just listen and try to keep up with me. Think of the human body composed of more than 100 trillion cells. Think of the skin. While water penetrates the skin outwardly, we can sweat. It can't penetrate inwardly from the outside. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, if not, you would have blown up and exploded in the shower this morning. Think of the bones capable of carrying a load 30 times that brick will support. Think of the liver. It breaks up blood cells into bile and neutralizes poisonous substances out of your body. Think of the blood. 10 to 12 pints of syrupy substance distributes oxygen and carries away waste from tissues and organs. It also regulates the body's temperature. Think of the heart weighing less than a pound. It's a real workhorse. On the average, it pumps 100,000 times every day, circulating over 2,000 gallons through 60,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. Wow. And that's only part of it. Our brains has 10 billion, over 10 billion nerve cells to record what it sees and what it hears and what it feels and can transport messages. 10 billion nerve cells in the human brain. I don't know how they know that. The brain of the human and its capability surpasses any computer that mankind can make. We're getting better, but we still can't touch the human brain. Now, maybe this just appeals to me because I was a biology teacher, but a, a microscopic chromosome, this little tiny thing that's got tons of information in it, this chromosome, we, got, we can't see them. With an, I could have a plate full of them and you couldn't see any of them. But, listen to this, a single microscopic human chromosome contains over 20 billion bits of information. 20 billion in a microscopic organism we can't even see in the human body. And in there is the information that's going to determine me, you, us. Now, what does 20 billion bits look like to you? A lot. But just imagine this. He gives us a great illustration. 20 billion bits would correspond to about 500 million words if you assumed there were six letters in a word. And assuming there were 300 words on a page as an average, that would mean 2 million pages. 
500 pages in a book, that would correspond to 4,500 page books in your library on one single chromosome in your body. And we came from primordial mud, primordial mud, slop, when lightning struck or something. And because it was an accident, we get to determine whether it's really worthwhile and it should have the right to be born. Because man has went from God-centered to human-centered. Humanism, secularism, relativism. And life has become so devalued. And yet it's the most amazing thing we can imagine. It's amazing that I can stand up here and decide to move my little finger without really thinking about it. It just kind of happens. And my crazy heart's beating really fast. All by itself. And I even remember to breathe. Somehow. Somehow. And it just happens because God has made this amazing physical tapestry the way he's made it. The intricacy of the human body is beyond modern medicine's comprehension yet. The more we learn, the more we go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There has to be some sort of divine intelligence out there somehow putting this all together as verse 14 says your works are wonderful and i know that full well it's just amazing when you think about that those ladies that are pregnant right now that's what's going on in your body right now god is weaving together this physical tapestry right now and all we have to do is remember to eat get some rest Take care of that baby. In Psalms 139, verses 16 through 18 that I read, he says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there wasn't even one of them. How precious you are. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I mean, our natural minds can't get this. But he's continually with you. He's continually knows everything about you. And he's continually thinking about you. His thoughts about me are more than the sands of the earth. The thoughts of that child in a mother's womb. He's continually thinking about them. Continually. He's forming them, thinking about them. He ordains the days of our lives before we're even conceived, much less born. We are significant. Every life in the womb is significant. And the tapestry of our lives continues to be lived out till the day we go home to be with the Lord. His thoughts towards us are precious. How do you put a value on a human life? How could man decide we are the ones who gets to determine the value of that human life? Well, two things that we need to remind ourselves of again is one, the power of deception and the power of the enemy, and he's good at his stuff. And we've got a whole culture out there telling us that God's irrelevant. And if God is irrelevant, who is relevant? Me. And therefore, whatever I want is okay. And it's a lie. What's the answer to abortion? 
Well, we should be speaking up about it with love. We should be trying to educate at every opportunity we get. We need to be defending life. If you're called to protest, whatever, that's up, however God deals with your heart. But at the very least, we have an opportunity to pray. Pray that God would grant repentance, that our nation would turn away from its evil ways, that he might forgive us, renew the land, that, that prayer. And then that's something practical. I hit on it earlier. We can vote. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're an Independent. Are we pro-life? I pray we're pro-life. I trust that as we look at how God values life, we can become, that's the litmus test, first and foremost, where does that candidate stand on life? Because I don't want anybody making decisions about the rest of my life if my life to them has no value. And that's really the bottom line. So we need to search out. Don't be ignorant voters. Search out. There's Democrats, there's Republicans, and there's independents that are out there and they're pro-life. And there's the same Democrats, Republicans, and independents out there that aren't all pro-life. So it's not not a party thing. I believe it's a God thing. We can vote for pro-life candidates. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. With all that said, there really is the ultimate issue or the ultimate solution to abortion. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Knowing that we... We have a Savior that loves us. No matter where we've been, He will forgive us of our sins. It was paid for at the cross. As we can lead people to the Lord, sharing the gospel, the good news of the the gospel, lead people to Christ. His Holy Spirit and the Word will convict. And we can change it. It's amazing. As bad as it is, it was 600,000 lives worse in 1990 than it is today. But that's still a million babies every year. Figure out how many babies have been sacrificed since I started this message. Almost 150. It's it's horrible. But today we can celebrate life. Today I hope we get a better picture of what God thinks of life. And as I started this morning, if you're one of them that has had an abortion, you're one of the guys that's been part of that abortion, you know what? There is forgiveness that's been paid for at the cross. We cannot live in that guilt and shame. We can live in the righteousness of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do think of all those millions of babies means there's millions of moms who for whatever reason uninformed, afraid, whatever, gave up their child before they really got to experience it. Lord, I pray for these ladies here and these ladies throughout our nation that that the enemy could not keep them in that place of bondage by guilt and shame and condemnation. God, I pray for those that are working at 
these abortion clinics and at the hospitals where they do abortions. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of all those involved, that they would see the beauty and wonder of life and that they could repent and this abortion thing could be killed in our nation. Lord, we thank you and praise you that according to my understanding of your word, all 57 million plus of those babies are in heaven with you right now. I thank you and praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be activists in whatever way you would call us or lead us to be. Loving on someone one-on-one, carrying a sign, voting, whatever it might be. But at the very least, we would be activists in our prayer life for your special gift, life in the form of our children. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share love and hope in regards to life, even in this next week. Pray you'd go before us. Pray, Lord, you'd also watch over us, keep us safe in these cold weather as we drive and wherever we might be going. Lord, I pray that each day we would be becoming more closely resembling the tapestry that you have for us that would be that tapestry that would project the image of Christ to the world around us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.